Welcome to Augusta Free Press. If you're tuning in now, um, just want to let you know that this is an opportunity for you to join the conversation as well. We do plan to talk about the horrific incident that's happened at UVA this week. I'm going to mostly let Chris Graham do the talking because he's been covering UVA athletics for probably two decades and um, certainly has a, a lot of, um, certainly I guess the last 48 hours plus now, Chris, has been just an emotional whirlwind. And before we get into the specifics, um, all the details related to UVA, who these players were, um, you know, that that were murdered and um, all, just the, the football game, just everything surrounding that, you know, before we get into all that, I just, I know this has taken its emotional toll on you. And as much as you say, this isn't about me. You know, I know that it's taken a toll on you, and I just want to give you an opportunity at the very front just to talk about how you're feeling throughout this whole ordeal. Well, I'll I'll deflect as as is usual, but I'll I'll say that I'm sure a lot of people are are going through the same emotions that 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 I am, that you probably are. Um, you know, those of us who are UVA alums, UVA fans, you know, who who whether you went to school there or you did that, and you you know, you wear the orange and blue on your sleeve, literally like here, you, like you as well. Um, even though you're a Virginia Tech grad, you still um, very much are every UVA fan too. Um, you know, it's a family and, um, and it's a small family. You know, it's not, it's this, this um, you know, the Charlottesville community and the extended, I, I guess we can call it the diaspora uh, of, of people spread out across the world. It's tight knit. And uh you know, we argue with each other like brothers and sisters about whether or not, uh, you know, a, a team uh, uh, is playing well or certain coaching decisions are made the right way. But at the end of the day, we're all we're all Wahoos. And um, and and I think we've seen that this week, uh, you know, and, and, and so it's tough. It's it's hard because, you know, and, and then specific for for me. Uh, I don't want to claim that I um, was friends with any of the of the young men who died. I got to interview them um, over the years uh, and got to know them just a little bit. Uh, and and um, and then so having that experience, but then also just having been a student at UVA, it kind of makes you think about you know where I was at my in my life at that time, and just to think that something like this could happen, and you, you know. I know every college is special, but to me, the University of Virginia is very special and how hard you have to work to get into the University of Virginia as a student and uh, and to maintain um, the kind of grades they had to maintain to main, you know, to continue to be football student athletes. Um, you know, the, um, the, they were going to be UVA graduates. Mike Hollins, who is is fighting for his life now, he, he's he's survived the shooting, but has endured two surgeries. He was set to graduate a semester early, uh, and it, I guess what I should say is set to graduate a semester early. Uh, he'll, he, he's set to graduate early next month um, and then work on his master's degree while he continues playing football. Um, that's the kind of young men that that are involved in this story, and it's it's tough. It's really tough. And so when you know that, um, you know, I like to say I, I always tell a fellow alums um, when I after doing an interview with a with a student athlete, a player that uh, that's another one you'd be proud to call a UVA student an eventual alum because, you know, they represent their university so well. And these three guys definitely did that. 
So let's talk about those three guys. I think that's an important place to start as these young men, um, you know, you have some stories about them um, that you've written on Augusta Free Press, uh, Lavelle Davis Jr., Deshaun Perry, and Devin Chandler, Chris. I think that's what this story is about, these three young men who were taken way too early from our community. So if you could maybe talk about them, um, you know, just in light of, you know, these, these, this bright light that they were, this bright future that they had, you know, Augusta Free Press, unfortunately, um, had an intern who passed away. And, you know, when someone is young and taken from this world, it just seems so unfair. Yeah, yeah. In fact, another, an intern who was murdered, what, um, in late 2019, it doesn't feel like it's been that long uh, since Tess Majors was, uh, was murdered in New York, at the end of her towards the end of her freshman first semester uh, uh, at, sc at school there. Um, and I had a similar reaction to that that I had to this. You know, you you heard the news first about tests. And, you know, my, my reaction was to kind of just wail out loud, no. And then, I, you know, sun, uh, Monday morning when I got a phone call from, from our colleague Scott German here from AFP, and he had gotten word that uh, players had been uh, – involved in, in the shooting uh, as victims and the first name he said was Lavelle Davis I screamed no I, I, I and I still can't pr process that and and the other two young men as well obviously but Lavelle I'd gotten to know a little bit because of interviewing him a few times and uh, what a what a you know I'll talk about all three I'll talk about Lavelle first um, you know one um uh, Tony Elliott yesterday called him the the tallest man in the room. You know, for for he's six seven, um, uh, and and you know, there's taller people in basketball certainly, but in football, six seven is is awfully big. You know, you don't see a lot of guys who are six seven who play football. They tend to play basketball. Uh, but Lavelle was a star wide receiver uh, in high school. You know, just on the football side of things, Tony Elliott got to know him uh, from the time that Lavelle was a freshman in high school. Lavelle played high school football. Uh, in Dorchester, um, South Carolina. And of course, Tony Elliott was an assistant coach at Clemson down in South Carolina. And so, um, you know, you see a big kid on the football field, uh, even at a young age, uh, you think, okay, if he's got any ability, we're going to want to give him a look. And Clemson was recruiting him very actively. So was a, a number of other schools. Um, and uh, uh, Clemson actually, and, and Lavelle told me this story last year. I, I, when I talked with him, the day Tony Elliott was announced to uh, UVA fans as the new head football coach, um, Lavelle was coming off an ACL injury. He worked so hard last fall, last summer and fall to uh, after surgery to repair an ACL injury. Um, he actually had suffered an ACL injury in high school as well. And because of that ACL injury, Clemson stopped recruiting him. The decision was made above Tony Elliott, who had been recruiting him. He was the contact. Um, the way college football works, this may work in other sports too, but the college football staff's got a number of guys on it, like, you know, 12 or 14 guys, whatever it is per school. And um, each, each, each assistant coach, in addition to being the coach that they're, you know, whatever they're coaching, running backs or wide receivers or defensive line, whatever it might be, they also have an assignment that you know, your, your, your head coach will divide up the country into regions. Um and Tony Elliott's region was South Carolina and Georgia, at least, because I know he also made friends with he was a friend before his days at UVA with Chris Slade, because Chris Slade was a high school coach in Atlanta. So to get back to, to, to Lavelle, uh, Tony was the um, the guy who, who was the contact on the staff 
uh, for Lavelle Davis. And um, after after Clemson decided to stop recruiting Lavelle because of that injury, um, uh, Tony Elliott kept up with him, even though even though the decision was made, we're not, we don't you know we're not looking to have you come join us at Clemson. Tony Elliott kept up with him. Asked how his, he asked him how his rehab was doing. Checked in with him frequently. How his rehab was going. How school was going. How his decisions uh, regarding his future college destination were going. And so uh, Lavelle told me that story, and then told me that when uh, his grandmother heard the news that Tony Elliott had been named the head coach at Virginia, she actually called Lavelle and told Lavelle it's meant to be, um, because the reason he chose Virginia, he said was because after his ACL injury, uh, Marcus Hagens, the wide receivers coach at Virginia, um, can, uh, did the same thing Tony Elliott did in terms of um, you know, keeping up with him, but also Virginia continued recruiting him. Bronco Mendenhall continued to prioritize Lavelle Davis as a recruit, and he said that loyalty, after, after he got better and came back to the field and was playing great and showed that he was fully recovered from the injury, a number of other schools jumped back in and said, we'd love to have you here. And Lavelle said, "Nope, I trust the. Lo- I value the loyalty at Virginia. They stayed with me when everybody else jumped off the ship, and so he came to Virginia for that reason. And then he was so happy that Tony Elliott was the new coach for a similar reason because Tony Elliott had shown loyalty to him. Um, and so that's you, you know, then you start thinking. I mean, this is one of those things. I don't know if it's, what what it's called. It feels like survivor's guilt to me, even though, but you know." He made a choice to be at Virginia and because of loyalty to two different people. And, you know, he's at Virginia as a result. But, you know, off the field, <clears throat> Lavelle was known as uh, he, I think I said tallest man on campus. He he also to Tony Elliott also referred to him as sort of a big man on campus in the sense that because he's you know, he, he was very distinctive looking six, seven, very attractive young man with a very distinctive haircut. Right. He, he, he just he just cut such, a, such an image. That um, you know, people people knew him instantly, and um, you know, and he he he, from what Tony said, he always tried to sort of keep people at ease. You know, he he liked he likes he liked to smile. He liked to make other people smile. And um, what I think stands out about all three of these young men, and it's so I'll mention this in the context of Lavelle because we'll talk about the other two specifically in a moment. But um, a, a professor um, um. Uh, spoke of them and i think his name was jack hamilton one of the professors who had um i think he had he had devin chandler and maybe lavelle davis as well in a class i'm doing this from memory as far as that goes but he said you know jack hamilton said that that um you know a number of athletes um uh they they they, they tend to have as their friends other athletes for for lots of reasons you know that that's the guys that hang around just like any you know, you know any other social group but but those guys made it a point to have friends outside of the football circle. And in that drama class, which was the the class that was on the, the field trip to Washington to watch a play, you know, a number of their classmates have spoken about how how engaging they were and how, you know, unclickish they were. They in fact their click included lots of non-football people, not lots of non-sports people. And Lavelle was certainly one of those. Um, you know, uh, we we have an account of um, one of the witnesses, one of the fellow students on the bus talking about on the trip back from D.C. So after they went to the play, they had dinner together with the big group that, um, uh, you know, Devin Chandler was playing Drake over a loudspeaker, you know, one of those little portable speakers. I've got one. Everybody's got one these days playing Drake over the loudspeaker. Uh, 
and, and uh, the, the professor was fake cringing at the um, obscene lyrics, right? So um, Mike Collins was helping her with her homework and Lavelle was um, his, his phone had started running out of energy and, and, and asked if she could help um, him by, by plugging his phone in and, and charging it. And they were talking about football and, you know, the, the football players are talking about, Hey, if we ever make it in the NFL, you know, we'll, we'll remember you guys. And um, uh, I, I believe Lavelle also talked to the, the to the young lady uh, about, He'd, he'd missed the last couple of games after suffering a, a concussion in practice, and he was how how much he was looking forward to getting back on the field next week. He'd been cleared uh, on Thursday previously uh, to get back on the field, but he hadn't practiced, so it, the decision was made for him not to play in the pit game on Saturday. But he was very much looking forward to getting back on the field. So, um, so Lavelle Davis, uh, just a tremendous young man, and uh, he had a bright future ahead. He he was going to be an NFL player, and. Uh, not that that matters. He was he was going to also be very successful in life after football, whenever that was going to be. Um, so that's the first part. That's the first tragic story. Yeah, and I know you wrote a story specific about Lavelle, and I know that um, you know you knew some of his backstory and everything like that too, just because you've covered him for such a long time. So I know I know that one was especially hard. I know the other two, maybe you didn't know quite as well, but you've learned a lot about them, um, unfortunately, since their deaths. Yeah, we'll go to, next to Deshaun Perry. Deshaun Perry was a fourth-year student at UVA, and um, he didn't play a lot. But UVA fans might remember um, the the he had an interception return for a touchdown at the end of the Abilene Christian game in 2020, um, the COVID year. So, um, what, you know, what a weird year that was for everybody. All all four of the guys, including the three who who died. Uh, were on the team in 20. Actually, Mike Collins took 2020 off, so I have to take that back. Mike Collins sat out 2020. He decided not to to try to play during the COVID year, but they were all a part of the program in 2020, and what a weird year that was. And that was the first game I was able to attend um, in person. Uh, you know, very limited. There were only 150 people in the stands, the press box. We were all wearing masks and sitting very far apart from each other. But at the very end of that game, uh, Virginia won the game by blowout. I think the final score was 55-15. But he intercepted a pass and ran it back for a touchdown as time was expiring. And, you know, at the moment, it seemed like, well, you know, they were already winning 49-15. They didn't need to score that touchdown. Um, and I remember even that that, that um, touchdown ended up on uh, Scott Van Pelt's bad beats segment um, as, as the all-time bad beat. Virginia had gone into that game as a 39-point favorite. And with his touchdown return, um, that made the margin 40 points. Uh, yeah. So, of course, it was a play that didn't matter to the game. Um, and as it turns out, it was his only career touchdown. So I thought, I, you know, I hadn't even made that connection until today when I saw a highlight of that touchdown randomly um, and thought, man, that, you know, watching that that day, you're thinking, well, you, you just fall down, you know, we don't need to run up the score on these guys. It's his only career touchdown, but so that's the, that's the football part of Deshaun Perry. Uh, Tony Elliott talked about uh, Deshaun Perry and what um, he said. He was the most interesting guy on the team, uh, even though he didn't play a lot. Uh, he's a guy that listens to listen to jazz music, um, classical music. Uh, he was an artist um, who could uh, you know draw and paint, and um, he worked in clay. Uh, and he was described by Coach Elliott and then also friends as being very soft-spoken, but also the kind of person that 
despite being soft-spoken, you wanted to know what he was thinking because he was such an interesting guy. Uh, and um, uh, so that you know, a friend said similar things that that she met him uh, when she was a first-year student at EVA. They were both first-year students at EVA, and um, he was uh, known among her friends uh, as more for his studio art than for football. I mean, it just happened he was a football player. Um, I saw a, a, a you know his father has been very active on social media. And it's heartbreaking how active he's been because he clearly so loved his son. Not that everybody else didn't love their sons too, but you know, you really see him coming out. And he he talked about how Deshaun was set to graduate, and then he was going to work on his master's, and he was going to be, then he was going to work on his PhD. And he said within three years he was going to be Doctor Perry. And um, you know, it's that's hard. That's hard to think. That that you know he's gone as well, and then Devin Chandler is a guy that transferred in from Wisconsin, another really good school. Uh, University of Wisconsin at Madison is is on par with University of Virginia in terms of its its um, recognition as an academic powerhouse. And um, out of high school, uh, his final two college choices were Virginia and Wisconsin, and he's from North Carolina. And Bronco Mendenhall told a story this week about how. Um, he was recruiting Devin, you know, the head coach of a, of a football to college football team. They're not, so they assign assistant coaches to crawl the, 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 the woods, you know, and go to the high schools and make the contacts. The head coach comes in as the closer generally, you know, the head coach, uh, you know, if there's a, if there's a recruit that's sort of on the fence, Hey, let's, let's get the head coach in here. Well, Bronco, you know, famously UVA fans will remember, um, he had a ranch out in Albemarle County outside of Charlottesville, and his closing deal was he would invite a recruit to the ranch to hang out, and um, he'd do things like, you know, have him ride a horse with him and, you know, things like that. He would just kind of test them, right? Um, and he had Devin out to the ranch, and and they talked at length that day, uh, Coach Mendenhall said, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Devin decided to go to Wisconsin, and Bronco said that he – to himself didn't tell this to Devin Chandler, but he thought that that's going to be tough for him. You know, this young man's from North Carolina, Wisconsin's half, half a continent away. And, you know, just getting to know him, I'm not sure if that's going to work out for him, but he said he wished him the best and kept up with him, you know, like other coaches will do sometimes keep up with the guy, even if they don't come to the school with him. And so when he, when coach Mendenhall saw Devin Chandler's name on the uh, transfer portal uh, after because after his his second football season at Wisconsin he decided to transfer out so, so coach Mendenhall actually was the one to reach out and say hey we'd, we'd like you to consider coming back to Virginia and, and Devin did um, now he made that decision uh, around this time last year uh, and so Bronco Mendenhall decided you know suddenly to step down after the, the football season last year uh, early December so Bronco never got to coach him but he talked about how when Devin um, uh, committed to Virginia, decided to come to Virginia, and in, in fact enrolled back in the spring, he was very happy because even though he said he wouldn't get to coach him, he thought that Virginia was um, going to be the best situation for him, both as a football player, but more importantly as a young man. And uh, there's another story that you know you, you just you have to shake your head at that he, he as a result came here, but. Described by um, Coach Elliott and and also um, you know other people who knew him as 
uh, sort of the life of the party. I think that's the quote in the story I wrote this afternoon. Life of the party was Devin. He was a guy that was always trying to make people smile, make people feel at ease. Uh, Coach Elliott talked about how, um, you know, on the on the football side of things, how you know football can be very monotonous. What we see on the field, you you know, exciting plays. It's up and down the field. But the day-to-day work that goes on all year round for for a football player, training, you know, the weightlifting and conditioning, um, the practices, he said, is it can be very mundane because you're doing so many things over and over and over trying to get it right. And he said that Devin had this special ability just to make it fun. Um, and and he, he was a locker room presence and a locker room leader in that respect. Um, because if you can make it fun, you can actually be better at it if, as opposed to treating it like a job. And, um, you know, I, I just read a, 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 a note that he, uh, I saw on Twitter, a note he sent to a, a professor, his, one of his professors he had last semester, uh, back in the spring at UVA and thanking her for helping him transition. He talked about, you know, the transition as a transfer was hard. Transferring into a new school can always be hard. But uh, he he wrote a heart he hand wrote a note, um, you know heartfelt thanks to this to this professor uh, for her, all of her help and so um, you know all three of these young men just tremendous young men um, and like a lot of college athletes but I you know I'm my heart's orange and blue um, I, I, so I have a special place in, in in my thoughts and for for UVA athletes. I always say that they're going to make the world a better place after they're done with sports. And all three of these young men certainly would have done that. We saw a very um, emotional news conference yesterday with athletic director, Carla Williams, and Tony Elliott, you know, coach of UVA football. And um, both of them, it seemed were struggling to get through that. As you can imagine how difficult, Um, since both of them knew these three young men. Um, And of course, you know, fourth one who's still struggling right now at the hospital. So it definitely affected the football program. And we don't want to forget that there was a fifth person who was also impacted by this, not a uh, football player. I believe it was a young lady, but um, who has been released from the hospital now. I don't want to leave them out of the conversation, but I want to get back to Coach Elliott for just a minute, Chris, because, you know, these, these young men, you know, when they're away from home, I imagine that these coaches are very much father figures for these young men. And you mentioned Bronco Mendenhall as well. I believe he was on grounds as well this week, um, you know, uh, after, after this, and certainly talked to some of the families um, of these players who were lost. I just thought maybe you could share a little bit of, of what both of those coaches said, not just about the players, but just about the overall situation too. Um. You know, Coach Elliott, uh, for those who, who who did see and maybe and those who didn't see the press conference yesterday, he was clearly um, he was clearly shaken. You know, Carla Elliott, we were told before the press conference was having a hard time uh, um, coming out and talking, and and um, but Coach Elliott uh, was really struggling, and for obvious reasons, um, you know, he's a first year coach, and at, at, with this program, he's of course he had a long run at Clemson and was very successful there. Um, but, um, you know, nothing, he, he's, I think he said it, I, I wish I had the exact quote in my head, but he said, nothing prepares you for this. You know, when you're, uh, uh the, the football coach at a major university, there's so many things on your, your job, uh, listing, you know, you, you're responsible for roughly 105 student athletes who are players on your, your team. 
uh, and then also the you know the trainers and the coaches and assistant coaches, support staff. I mean, there's a it's a big family. It's like 140, 150 people. Um, but you know, this is rare. I mean, to think about how many you know times something like this has happened to a uh, you know, a major college football program. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing something, but the, uh, you know, the the tragedy that it befell Marshall University when you know a plane crashed and you know dozens of members of that program, coaches and players, and that was in 1970, uh, died. Um, you know, that's something that still um, people around Marshall University you know talk about today, like it happened yesterday. So that obviously had a huge impact there, and. Um, you know, UVA has gone through something like this uh, in recent years, uh, the the murder of Yardley Love, uh, a UVA women's lacrosse player, by her, her ex-boyfriend, George Hughley, a UVA men's lacrosse player, during the season. It was in May of that year, and and uh, both of those seasons were obviously shut down as a result, and, you know, there was a lot of uh, heartache there. Um, and, and, and with this, uh, you know, it happens during the season, and... Um, you know, the players, um, and of course, also complicating things was that for roughly 12 hours, Sunday night into Monday morning, the entire university was was shelter in place. All of the grounds were shelter in place. If you were in the library, if you were in a gym, if you were in a um, any any place, you, you had to stay where you were because the, the suspect was at large and no one knew where he was. And so to keep everybody safe, everybody had to stay where they were. And and so as a result, the, you know, the, the, the players, the student athletes and the coaches were, had been made aware that something had happened to, to members of their, of their group, but they couldn't get together uh, in any way physically uh, to, to, um, you know, just be there for each other. And then so finally, when they were able to meet sometime in the 10 o'clock hour on Monday, they did and raw emotion, Tony Elliott said, certainly came out. And um, he talked about how, so he talked yesterday, Tuesday, and he said yesterday was a better day, but it started just as raw. He said when the team got together, there there were, you know, there are players who were just wailing, and um, you can understand why. I mean, it's a big group. It's you know we want to talk about an organization with 150 people in it. Not everybody necessarily knows everybody else, but. You know the wide receiver room, for example, at Virginia. Um, two of the two of the young men, Lavelle Davis and and Devin Chandler, were wide receivers. So, you know that small group of maybe twelve to fifteen guys. You know they're going to feel this, uh, and their coach Marcus Higgins are going to feel this um, for for quite a while, all their lives, but certainly in in, in the immediate term, really, really, really hard. And um, and so um. You know, and, and 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 they want to be there for each other, and they are for each other, and and you know, then then there you got to think about the students who were on the bus. This was again, it was a class field trip, and there were twenty five students total on the bus. And you know, we 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 know we've heard from some from people who were on the bus. I mean, they're they're going to live with this the rest of their lives as well. And uh, and then the first responders and the doctors. I mean it. You know, got one report. I won't mention any name, but but one one surgeon um, that was basically had to be, you know, ordered to leave. But he was trying so hard to save one of the victims. Um, there's this is you know this is this is impacting those people directly a lot, and then the rest of us. I, I've, I've probably gone way off your question, but for the rest of us, just knowing all these things. 
with people that we know, whether we knew these, these young men directly or not, we know somebody who knew them or we, you know, we saw them, um, uh, you know, places, you know, we're in Charlottesville a lot, Crystal, you know, we're all, whenever you, it seems like whenever you go to a restaurant or a store, you run into one of these guys. Um, and so, yeah, that, that makes it tough for everybody. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what we're all struggling with right now. I know you've made it a big point, Chris, to, to talk about that emotional impact in a lot of the stories that you've written. You know, um, Coach Elliott was talking about how his main goal was trying to make sure the players weren't isolated. You talk about bringing people together, but even the next day, you know, you want to make sure that everyone's kind of got someone around them. And I know that there are a lot of campus resources. I saw some therapy dogs coming in today and things like that, too, for people that are on ground. Um, but for those people, you know, Grief is an unusual thing. And, you know, people, fans even can be impacted in a major way, you know, um, by something like this. It's a community effect, really. And, um, you know, I know you've been writing a lot about, you know, the that emotional aspect, making sure that you're taking care of yourself. Even um, Scott German, who writes for us, um, was talking with reporters yesterday, national news reporters from CNN and other organizations. And, you know, they all said, you know, even though a lot of them, it seems like they moved from breaking news story to breaking news story, you know, this kind of thing really hits hard. Yeah, um, it, uh, it does. And, and we got to look out for ourselves in that respect, certainly. And, um, you know, it hit me again this morning. I mean, you know, you keep thinking, and, and again, I'm not trying to make myself a victim here. We're three days into this though. And, you know, I, I was, um, I've been, it just seems like I've been working nonstop, uh, just getting a little bit of sleep in like the last couple of nights, just for the fact of trying to report on this story accurately and, and tell people what's going on and help make, you know, a little bit more sense of it, which we can't do, but we're trying. And, um, this morning I, um, uh, as in the course of doing research, I came upon information. I'm sure we'll talk about the news part of things later, so I won't go into detail about it right now. But I came across some information that that it just brought tears to my eyes because uh, it, it made this this already awful, sad story even more awful and more sad. And um, uh, and so I mean, and then you know, I've I've been a guest. I was a guest on a um, podcast last night um, with uh, I think it's the, the Cavalier Cavalier Game Day. I wanted to make sure to get it right. I'm, I, I'm my brain's a little foggy at times today, but um, and and the the host there, um, uh, Casey uh, and I, he's also a UVA guy, and and we uh, uh, I I warned him before, and but in a text, I said I've been writing about this a lot a lot the last couple of days, but I've not said words out loud about this a lot the last couple of days. So we'll see how it goes. It went okay. Um, I was asked this morning by a friend who used to work in the Charlottesville radio market, Mark Moses, who's now in Florida, um, because this is a national story. Uh, he asked me to join his his uh, Central Florida radio show to give the you know the local perspective on it. And for thirty minutes, I was uh, you know talking to him, and you know it, it's interesting. The more you talk about it, the less sense it makes. The more you think about it, the more you you know. For me, as a reporter trying to dive into the details the less sense it makes and the harder it gets um and so uh and i've heard from people who a lot of people who aren't reporters who aren't uh who, who are doing the same thing though they're they're constantly on social media or looking at news sites trying to to learn the latest because they just want to see if they can make any sense of it and 
because it, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's something that hits close to home. And so, you know, there's a lot of us right now with bleary eyes uh, and, and teary eyes as well. Yeah, no question. Some of the interviews and especially um, one young lady who was on the bus spoke out and he shared that interview with me. It's been widely shared on Twitter and wrote a story about it. In fact, um, just her firsthand account of it was just heart wrenching and um, very hard to actually listen to, um, you know, and I'm sure it was um, very hard for many people, you know, very, in a sense, triggering, you know, in the sense that, you know, it was um, uh, for anybody who's ever you know, been around a situation like this or knew these young men, you know, it's almost like details that you wish you didn't know, you know, um, but they're, it's part of the story, you know, and, and I want to talk about that in a minute, Chris, I want to talk about the hard part of, you know, reporting on this, because, you know, there was a killer in this instance, and, um, and I know you wrote a story about that, too, and got some criticism for, for writing about that background, Um, so I do want to talk about that, I want to talk about the news part of this, Um, right now, what I want to do, though, is just bring us up to date, I know the game with Coastal Carolina has been canceled, that was scheduled for this Saturday, clearly, that makes sense, just like you talked about the lacrosse seasons uh, being canceled after the death of Yardley love. I can't imagine that these players, coaches, or anyone could think about putting up a game plan, you know, and unless it was just simply to get together or to get back in a routine, because sometimes that's helpful. Um, that's the only way I could see that being put together. And, and we'll still have to see what happens with the game scheduled with Virginia Tech. Yeah. That, that I think no announcement's been made on. Yeah. Um, so wh- where do things stand now? Is it just kind of a waiting pattern right now as far as um, if anything else is going to happen this season on the field? Well, I mean, the, the school did not cancel the Virginia Tech game, so that's at least potentially on the table, um, and a decision will be made about that down the road. It just, you know, it, at least the the – the players and the players uh, we were told were, were given the opportunity to vote yay or nay on when, you know, if to play, when to play, et cetera. And so, um, uh, you know, that's the Virginia tech game is still an option. Uh, certainly. Um, it, I don't, I don't know how they can play even that game, but certainly for this week, you know, I don't know the status here at, as we were talking at four forty-five PM Wednesday as to whether or not, Funerals have any, any of the any of the funerals have been scheduled as of yesterday. At this time, they had not been. Um, but you know, presumably, you know, we got three funerals for for these uh, players to 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 attend, players and staff to attend, and they're spread out. Ones in North Carolina, ones in South Carolina, ones in Florida. So, um, you know, that's that's a priority is 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 being there for each other and for the families, um, and for their teammates uh, that that have fallen. Uh, and then after that, you can think about if there's a football game or not. Uh, and I would assume that those funerals would be, you know, I mean, I guess they they tend to be within the next few days. So uh, just again, I don't know if they're scheduled, but that's got to be the priority, it, it would seem to me. And then, you know, I mean, football is a, a physical game, but it's also a mental game and an emotional game. And so the decision to cancel this weekend's game totally makes sense. Um because not only it's not like if you you know aren't prepared you'll lose the game nobody cares if they lose the game right now it's the, the, the seasons from a from a competitive standpoint already was was um not going in a good direction for virginia and so um but you don't want people to get hurt if they're not prepared if they're not mentally and physically prepared to play a football game it's a it's a strenuous game and it's a game that you could easily get hurt non-contact injury or contact injury 
Um, and so from that standpoint, no, they're, they're, from a physical, from a, from an injury standpoint, no reason to play from an emotional standpoint, no reason to play. And that may be th those same factors may play into the decision re regarding Virginia tech. I, I, I don't see any gain for playing that game. Um, you know, um, there are other ways that we can commemorate those young athletes than, you know, forcing or not forcing, they would, they would make the decision themselves, but, you know, they may feel pressure to want to play the game. We, they shouldn't be pressured. Honestly, maybe the decision should be taken out of their hands and just, and, and the administration should just call the game off. But, um, yeah, you know, I can't imagine. I mean, I know the university said that they would try to help the players and, you know, people get to the funerals of these people, but with them spread out, I'm sure that they're going to put some space in between each of them. And I'm sure it's going to be a week of funerals. So I just, I yeah. like you, I just don't see that happening, but I understand the reason to not make that call just yet because it's so everything's just happening um, for them. So, um, so, you know, shifting gears a little bit, Chris, um, I did the first court appearance was today um, for the killer. And I just, I'm just referring to him as the killer. I'm gonna let you fill in the details there, but you know, as hard as it is to talk about the person who commits the crime, because we do as journalists, as people, as humans, you know, wanna put the focus on the victims, the people who, you know, um, it's what's happened to them. You know, it, it's, it's devastating for them, for their family, for their friends, for the community. I mean, for everyone you know, as a journalist, you have to tell the full story, right? So I thought maybe you could bring everybody up to date on just what you know right now, and, and maybe just a little bit of the details as far as what you know about what happened. Well, uh, for, I mean, we didn't say this at the beginning of the um, video and the podcast. If you hear banging, it's because there's actually work being done on the roof above my podcast studio. So um, I'm, I'm safe. There's nothing going on here. I'm not being invaded or anything like that. It's 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 okay. Um, doing some roof work. We had some damage from the tornado from six months ago. Um, yeah, the 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 alleged. I'll go with the alleged, even though I mean it's it's alleged until he's convicted. I guess alleged shooter Christopher Jones, Christopher Darnell Jones Jr. Uh, he's 22. Um, he um, has been described to us as a former football player, but when you do some digging and not even a lot of digging. You find out that he was very briefly a member of the football program. Coach Bronco Mendenhall, former coach Bronco Mendenhall, um, was the coach of the program in 2018 for the very brief time that uh, Chris Jones was a member. And he had graduated high school from Petersburg High School uh, in June of 2018 and um, joined the program as a walk-on. Uh, and uh, Coach Mendenhall said he never practiced because he had come in injured. Uh, some, he had carried some injury with him from high school. Uh, and, um, so he, he never actually even practiced with the team. Uh, Bronco took 105 members of the team from summer conditioning workouts to preseason practice. And Chris Jones was not one of those guys. He was not part of the team during the fall, during the season, and then did not attempt to come back after the 2018 season. So, you know, the headlines talking about him being a former UVA football player, including those of which we wrote, because we didn't know those details at the very beginning, um, he he was technically a very very briefly a member of the program, but he actually never suited up for for UVA football. And this was four years ago, 2018, uh, four and a half years ago because it was summer of 2018. Um, he was still an active student at the University of Virginia. Um, this would have been his fifth year at UVA um, as a student. And um, uh, what we know about him from his background, he's uh, from the um, uh, Petersburg area. Um, 
and uh, he he grew up from all accounts in a in a difficult uh, upbringing. Uh, his parents divorced when he was five. Um, when I was researching court records uh, for information on Christopher uh, Jones Jr.'s uh, prior uh, record, I, I ran into uh, came across uh, Christopher Darnell Jones Sr.'s prior record, and there were. Um, there was an assault and battery charge uh, of a family member in 2005, which co which seems like it would add up to when um, the parents would have split. There was another uh, criminal charge too for for the senior, um, and so um, you know the the news accounts actually uh, a story was written about him in the Times Dispatch when he graduated in 2018. He ended up being a top student at Petersburg High School. Uh, and enough enough so to be the subject of a newspaper feature uh, in the Times Dispatch, and and it noted his difficult background, uh, how he had been a, but also how he had overcome that and and become a a star student first at Verina High School. He transferred his last year to go to Petersburg High School. Um, we found out later that the reason he had to transfer wasn't because he wanted to transfer; it was because um, his basically his mother abandoned him, and he had to go go live with his grandmother. So, I mean, he had he went from, you know, having us for a few years, a, a you know, nuclear family to living with a single mom and then living with his grandmother. Um, and then he, but he got into UVA as a student and, um, uh, you know, he was still an active student. So, I mean, and, and from a from an academic standpoint was was you know, obviously able to you know, maintain uh, his status as a student at UVA. That's not easy to do. Um, but behind the scenes there, um, you know, another layer. Uh, you know, he, he there was mention in that story in the Times Dispatch that in high school he had gotten involved in several fights. He'd been suspended from school a few times, um, and then we find out. Uh, in fact, we found this out today. Um, uh, and well, and, and some of this was from the last couple of days, but really concrete today. That in uh, 2021, last year, um, he was um, convicted in two separate trials. Actually, pled guilty, pleaded guilty. Um, uh, in I think it was in June, he pleaded guilty to a, a misdemeanor concealed weapons charge. Uh, he'd been pulled over in February of 2021, um, and uh, in the course of that traffic stop, uh, police saw that he had a, a concealed weapon that uh, he did not have a permit for, and so uh, he was given a 12-month suspended sentence in June of 2021 on the concealed weapons charge. Now, the reason he was pulled over in February of 2021 is because there were outstanding warrants for him from an um, activity and an incident in August of 2020 in which he was charged with reckless driving and also leaving the scene of an accident uh, in which there was more than $1,000 damage, effectively hit and run, even though the, the formal charge was not hit and run. And so that's the outstanding warrants are what led to him being pulled over. The being pulled over led to the concealed weapons charge. He was convicted of that in June of 2021, and then in October of 2021, um, he was given two separate 12-month sentences for the um, leaving the scene of the accident and also the reckless driving. So he was still active. Um, I guess a 12-month sentence in June uh, would have would have gone through June of this year, and the 12 month sentence in October would have ended October. I think it was October 28th. The was the 2021 date. Um, it, I, I think there's a question there as to why the two judges um, and why the two court systems didn't cooperate on. If you know, I don't. I don't. It doesn't make logical sense why someone would have three 
suspended sentences. It seems like that one of the other sentences would have triggered, hey, we need to unsuspend this and make you go serve time. Um, also, coinciding with this, so he he had a he had a a concealed weapons uh, conviction on his record. In 2022, uh, he was able to legally purchase two firearms, including we have we don't know for sure, but he he purchased a Glock pistol, um, uh, and and we can assume that that might have been the weapon that was used Sunday night. We don't know that for sure yet. It's, you know that'll come down the road, but. He was able to legally purchase that and also an assault rifle. Um, that was the second purchase was later this year. I think it was in July. I, it's a it's a question as how how as to how someone could pass background checks twice this year um, for someone who had active suspended sentences, one of which was for a concealed weapons violation. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it's not hard to connect dots and say the system failed several times there. Um, for this gentleman to be able to to purchase weapons legally, uh, and also be a free man after having all those suspended sentences, Th those, and we learned today, we learned today those details. As far as details of the shooting, you know, his family members have have said that he had said he was being bullied. Um, you know what was what's frustrating there is that that leaves the implication that. This shooting then it was somehow revenge, and these were specific targets. Now, it was revealed in court today as he was being um, – as a, as a judge was considering whether or not to grant him bond, which that was denied for obvious reasons. Um, it was presented that uh, a witness on the bus said he seemed to be targeting specific people. Um, we also know, though, from, from several accounts that um, he didn't interact with anybody on this trip, uh, the bus trip. He sat by himself at the theater, uh, or at least apart from the group, the main group at the theater. And um, witnesses on the bus don't recall any conversations between him and, and the victims. In fact, one of the victims we learned was was shot while sleeping. So it seems um, like there would have been an age difference there too, because you're talking about a player, you know, who was there in 2018, a fifth year. So he wouldn't have necessarily had classes um, he wouldn't have well, he wouldn't he wouldn't have been on he wouldn't have been even the small part of the program that he was he wouldn't they weren't there the other the other four student athlete football players weren't there in 2018 so that doesn't and, and mean it that, sounds like from the account too chris and you can correct me if i'm wrong on this but that um maybe the reason that the other people kind of said separately wasn't an episode of them you know being mean or him choosing you know it's because they didn't know it right because he was not in the he was right, not in, wasn't the class. in the class with these other people. So I guess a teacher or someone had invited him to come along on the trip. But I mean, that there, there's certainly um, it, it, it just see, it just seems, it seems like such an odd thing because um, you know, that, that this individual chose to, to come on this trip, um, didn't really interact with anyone. And then, and then these people were targeted and the shooting happened, you know, on this bus, it just, the, the whole thing just doesn't make sense. And I know a lot of times these things don't make sense. They may never make sense, even as we know um, more, more information. I mean, there was one young lady on the bus who said that she knew him, but through an outside activity, you know, related to drama and not, not through the class um, at all. So yeah, just, I mean, just the circumstances surrounding it, you know, I know, like I said, I know these things never make sense, but um, just from the outsider looking in, it's just, so out of place. I'll, I'll I'll play armchair psychologist now or psychiatrist as the case may be. 
um, and suggests that, you know, having read numerous accounts from friends and family of Chris Jones, the shooter, that um, uh, perhaps there was some paranoia, like maybe there was a mental health condition that's involved that was undiagnosed because his father, for example, who uh, had been estranged from him for a while, but then had come back into his life in recent years, mentioned he actually used the word paranoid. Uh, to refer to his son, that he seemed paranoid uh, when he talked to him. That that um, and and you know we and, and, and among the things that we've heard from witnesses on the bus is that um, oh, it was overheard that you guys are always doing this to me before he started shooting. Um, again, th there's no indication that he knew the victims or they knew him, um, and so but he had apparently been telling people he he felt bullied. Um, he apparently reported to the university that he felt like he was being hazed, and yet um, he shoots people that, from everything we know now, he had no contact with, um, had never had never had contact with, did not know, they did not know him. And so, you know, you can speculate and say, could he have been frustrated that his football career didn't go well? I mean, I, you know, this is a young man who unfortunately seems like he was troubled as, as, a, as a teenager in high school, and um, he got in fights in high school, and, and uh, you know, he felt bullied. He bought a gun, um, you know, had that gun confiscated because he had it illegally, so he went and bought two more guns legally this time. And, you know, I mean, I, I was saying this to a friend uh, today, um, you know, if he felt like he was being bullied and, and he did not have a gun – um he 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 may have tried to push one of those football players he was a he was a big young man too he played he played football too he had played football uh you know he was a strong young man but but perhaps if 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 it had just led to fisticuffs or a pushing match or shoving match or whatever else you know we wouldn't have heard about this but unfortunately he had a gun and so you know whatever threat in his i think you know i'm again being armchair psychiatrist here but perhaps slightly mentally diseased mind we all have mental health issues that some, most of us um, do well with them and are undiagnosed, but I, so I'm not casting aspersions there, but, you know, it, it, instead of, uh, instead of, you know, lashing out at somebody and, and, and having a shoving match or a fist fight, he, he, he shot three, he shot five people, killed three, critically wounded another. Um, and a, a fifth, the fifth person is lucky. She wasn't critically wounded or dead. And, um, and now his life is, is forever changed too. So, Chris, you know, we talked about, you know, um, Yardley Love being murdered um, at UVA. Um, you know, we, we did mention Heather Heyer, who wasn't something directly that happened on grounds, but something that certainly happened in the Charlottesville community. When Well, when and the events, the events of that weekend started with the uh, the torch march on Central on Central right, ground. on yeah. grounds. That's where it started. And I mean, certainly there were a lot of. Um, students participating in some of the, the um, counter protests against some of the white supremacists that came to Charlottesville that weekend. You know, you look at neighboring, you know, Virginia Tech, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you know, the fact that, um, you know, what they've been through too, you know, the fact that I'm a graduate of there, you know, certainly everyone remembers the April 16th massacre that happened there, but there've been other incidents of violence there as well. And so, um, you know, universities and students seem resilient, right? You know, and so I guess what I'm looking at is the where do we go from here, right? I mean, right now we mourn 
we cry, you know, we talk about that even as outsiders, how we're brought to tears, you know, reporting on this and writing about this and talking to friends about this. And certainly we're all, you know, even as reporters and journalists, we're humans first, you know, and so it's, it's, it takes a toll. And, and the community came in an outpouring when the, uh, when they held an event there on the lawn and put together, I mean, Monday night, right. I mean, very quickly. And I know we had a reporter, um, uh, Scott German, um, who did actually, you know, have a little bit of a relationship with with all three of the players who died, and he went to that vigil. And I know that um, Carla Williams, the athletic director at UVA, said that that was a very healing event for her. Um, I believe she had one of her children with her too. Um, but you know, there's funerals, and then there's getting back to some sort of life there at the University of Virginia, and I. And, this is just a guess on my part, but my guess is that, you know, they won't get back to really structured classrooms there until after Thanksgiving, because at this point, you're so close to that break. Um, but, I, but I just look at it and say, okay, Chris, so, so where does Charlottesville, where does the University of Virginia go from here? Like, how, how do you heal? How do you move on from such a tragedy? I'll uh, echo Tony Elliott, uh, who said yesterday that, uh, you know, he's just trying to live minute by minute right now um hour by hour um and so i don't i don't think you you know and and, and i've i've you know I'll, I'll i'll be up front about my mental health struggles uh, i you know dealt with severe anxiety for probably all my life but i didn't start getting it dealt with until uh, professionally until last year and part of that process has had me doing a lot of introspective type things and you know i had ther- mental health therapy for nine months and um i've got a I've I've written up for myself and edited every day for the last uh, 18 months, a a, guy, a daily guide that I follow. And, um, you know, among the things there is, is it's, you know, you, you don't try to win the game, you try to win the next play. And so, you know, your question is, how do we, how do we, you know, heal? That's trying to win the game. I don't think you can win the game anytime soon. I think what you got to do is just try to win the next play. And, and, um, you know, that's uh, hour by hour probably right now until, you know, I don't know that there's a normal. I mean, I keep – this is Wednesday. I, I can't believe it's just Wednesday. It feels like that happened so long ago. Um, and yet every time I look at my watch, like today, I, I, you know, I've been sitting at my desk since 9 o'clock, and it was 4 o'clock all of a sudden. Like, what the heck? Where did the day go? Um, but, you know, it's not uh, – you know, you're at, at this stage, you can't worry about the, the end result. You just have to do what you can do each day. And so for those, those, um, players who, you know, they, they, I don't know. I, I don't know how to even say, you know, if, if, if there had been one murder, you know, it would be tragic, it, you know, if three, if three of their teammates, three of their guys, three of their fellow students, three of their friends. I don't know how they deal with it. I, I don't know what they do, you know? Um, I, I, and, and Tony Elliott, I, you know, I haven't written a story of, of, about this yet. It's in my head and I'm kind of letting it percolate a little bit, but, you know, Tony Elliott is an interesting guy to be in this position. Um, you know, it, for people who may remember his story, he, um, as a child, he, he was in a car accident. His mom was driving, I, I believe he was nine years old. So, so when I say this, I haven't done the research. I wrote these stories last year when he was first hired. So it's been that long since I've I've examined the side of Tony Elliott, but he uh, his his uh, he was in a he and his sister were in a car accident. His mother his mother died, and um, 
it might be the case that someone else died in that accident too. So I don't want to misquote that, but in essence, um, that set him on a different path as a, as a youth. Uh, and he ends up, you know, bouncing around, um, and growing up hard, um, because he lost, he had lost his, his, uh, basically he grew up with a grand grandparents, I believe if I, if I have that right in my memory and, you know, um, then he got, uh, you know, he walked on at Clemson. He ended up with an engineering degree. I mean, so he's an example of, of the UVA student athletes we talk about, um, who, who come from a lot of them who come from humble circumstances, but are smart kids and, and also good athletes. Right. Um, so, I mean, this is a guy whose, whose whole life was defined by overcoming a tragedy at an early age, nine years old. Um, and you know, that reminds me of him. One thing he said yesterday at the press conference, he's got, he's got two sons. We saw them at the introductory press conference last year, um, up close, you know, you see them on the field after games, but we saw them up close last year and, and what, you know, what cute, bright, looking, bright looking young men, you know, <laughs> sitting there that day, um, with their mom and with their dad. And, um, he talked about how his seven-year-old, um, is doing the best of everybody in the family because he's still young enough not to really understand what's going on. The nine-year-old's having a, a tough time because the nine-year-old um, is old enough to know what's going on, and he 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 looked he he idolized the the all the you know the the players he sees he idolizes. I was when I was nine years old. I mean, I, I said this on the podcast last night. Um, when I was nine years old, I was nine years old would have been Ralph Sampson as a second year basketball player at UVA. That's when I decided I was going to go to UVA was when I saw Ralph Sampson playing basketball. Right. Um, uh, I was going to be uh, a basketball player at UVA. And I decided that at nine years old, because I was, you know, I idolized those guys in the early eighties. Right. And so, you know, his son, um, um, unlike me as a nine year old, his, his son, you know, gets to run around the field with, with his idols and, and very fortunate to do that. And now three of them are gone. And, you know, that's that you think about that. I mean, I, I can't imagine me at nine years old, if, you know, idolizing the UVA basketball team and someone had murdered Ralph Sampson, that's what it feels like, you know, for, for, for that kid. And for, for lots of kids around central Virginia who, who idolize UVA sports. So I don't know that there's a way I don't know that there's a path you can put yourself on to get over that. You just do a little bit. You, you just try to win every play, get a little, win every hour, um, and, and try to win the day, and then get to the next day. Um, we're right at an hour here, Chris, and I know you have additional podcasts planned with um, sports writers. Jerry Ratcliffe, one who's been covering UVA sports for probably four decades. I said, or more. I mean, I said you've oh, done yeah, forty-two for years, decades. Yeah. Yeah. and. Um, and Scott German, who, of course, has been following the UVA team. I think he says he's been to every UVA bowl game except for one, right? Uh, yeah, he missed, the, he missed the one in Hawaii one year. Okay. Um, but he's, he went to the Final Fours in 1981 and 1984. So you can give him close. To, actually, that'd be over 40 years, right? It'd be 41 years. So Right. So I know you have um, podcast planned with both of them. We're going to do a round. I think we're, the plan is to do a roundtable with them okay. tomorrow. Um, and, um, you know. Normally we talk and we're talking hardcore sports. We're uh, breaking down the latest football game, previewing the next basketball game. I mean, the UVA basketball has a, a huge tournament that they're going to be in this weekend. And I doubt we talk about anything sports related. Uh, it's going to be all this stuff. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, can't imagine caring about, you know, the, the games right now. I mean, we're going to 
do our best to to follow them when they play this weekend. But it's it's not it's not as important as it as it was. Hopefully, one that's part of the process, though, Crystal. You ask about healing process. I think we'll start knowing when we, you know, when our heart starts beating again hard when when there's a basketball game going on. But I I don't know. I'm still feel, I still feel too numb to even think about that. You know, I really appreciate you, Chris, putting your thoughts out there on this as well today. I know it's not easy. I know as someone who's sitting beside you with my desk right beside you, how grueling uh, the last few days have been. And, you know, I know you've been taking those phone calls and those text messages and doing the podcast, but I know that it's taken a toll emotionally, like you said, with sleep and everything else. So, um, and, and you're, you're so far on the outside of this compared to some people who are so directly impacted. So it's just um, a tragedy all the way around and something that will continue to follow. And I'll just say, again, as, as someone um, kind of on the outside here who, who works with you and, you know, <laughs> um, loves you, <laughs> you know, um, that if you have not logged on to AugustaFreePress.com, I urge you to do so. These stories are not written by me. They're written by Chris and Scott German, who we also mentioned. And um, these stories give you intimate profiles of the players, and they give you um, a real um, insight into who these individuals were. And um, I just, I've read, you know, you always joke with me, do I read your sports stories and stuff like that? And so often I don't, right? Um, I've read every one of these stories that you've published and they've all touched me in a very different way. And it's all shared the story of who these victims were, because that is the most important part of the story. Certainly, um, mental health is important and making sure that, you know, not only the people, um, you know, who you do care about and who are in your realm are taken care of, you know, get that mental health support, but, you know, also that we're looking out for as many people as we can in this community and in society and checking on people and making sure they're okay. And you've published some information about the distress hotline and, you know, I'll throw out there too, the 988, which is a suicide prevention hotline, but just saying that if, if this is affecting you in a bigger way, um, those are places that you can reach out. And um, for those of you looking for these beautiful portraits of these individuals, I just encourage you to check out some of the things that Chris Graham has written because they have all touched me. They have all brought me to tears. Um, you know, some of the uh, accounts of what have happened have made me angry. There's just been so many emotions associated with the last few days. And, um, you know, I, I think you've done a remarkable job of covering such a terrible thing to happen at UVA. And I know that that will continue as we move forward um, in healing and in the next steps for everyone. So I wanna thank you for what you've done. And um, I wanna thank everyone who's tuned in and listened to this hour of this as well. And again, just encourage you, um, if, if you or someone you know is struggling, definitely reach out. If you um, know someone who is undiagnosed in any kind of mental health condition and you worry about them, please encourage them to seek help. Um, Chris and I have both seen um, therapists, you know, that's something that we don't hide, you know, me for depression. And as he said, for anxiety, um, there's no shame in that, you know, there's so many people who struggle. And so, uh, and there's so many people that will struggle as a result of what happened at UVA, even, you know, if it's more in the short term. So just don't be afraid to reach out. And, um, Thank you for tuning in today. This is an unusual podcast, and I'm sure that the one tomorrow will be um, emotional as well. Um, but it's important um, that people kind of hear from the people who are writing these stories. Well, thank you, Crystal. And um, I can't wait to uh, get really emotionally invested into actual games again. That might be a while, but that'll be a good day.
uh, for uh, for Crystal Graham. I'm Chris Graham signing off. Everyone have a great day.